Welcome to the show, Paul George here. Adam Conk, how's it going? So good, Paul. The weather's gorgeous. It's God's country. Rock and roll. How about you? <laughs> it's 70 degrees. I mean, it's chilly. It's nice. Yeah. I mean, this is chilly for us. You know, when it gets below 70 in the mornings, it's great, though. The sun's out. It's wonderful. Little cool fronts coming in. So anyway, how are you doing? Really good. Really good. Family's good. Waiting on a new baby. Yeah, that's soon. Like, how soon? Month. One month. Yeah. Baby number seven on the mm-hmm. planet. Yep. Yep. Four girls, three boys to raise so far. So this is a girl? Yep. You'll have a name. Yeah, we're going. Well, we always go in with a name, and then depending on what day it is, you know, if it's a feast day or other circumstances, could change it. So we're not a hundred percent. But the one really? we're going in with is Elizabeth. Really? Yeah. So you, you you can go in with a name and come out with a different name. Yep. Really? Ab- absolutely. Now, on a couple of kids, we just didn't care. So like, uh, I love that Mary. We went in with Mary. But she was born on the feast of Saint Angela Marici. Okay, Angela is a nice name. It also happens to be her grandmother's name. So I was actually advocating for Angela and? for a little while, and then Mary was like, um, "Marianne, my wife, was like, well, yeah." So anyway, we didn't name the child for several hours after it was born, which was unusual for us. So what'd y'all decide on? Mary. Mary. Mm-hmm. Did y'all go with Mary Angela? That was part of the conversation. Nope, we went with Mary Teresa. Oh. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you you had a little girl recently. Well, almost a year ago. Almost. Yeah. Almost 11 months. So anyway. It's fun having a little girl. I don't know if guys out there who uh, aren't dads yet know what's coming for you. I think a lot of times when men think about having girls, if you've never had girls, you're kind of like, oh, no, what am I going to do with a little girl? Because I'm a guy. I don't know what mm-hmm. to do. And our dad with four daughters, myself. Uh, I love little girls. Mm-hmm. You know, I, lo- I love my son as well. But, I mean, there's something just unique, particular, and beautiful about raising girls. Yeah. When I've tried to articulate it, the best I can come up with is that boys kind of join your life and girls change your life. Mm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like a boy is like a companion. Right. And a girl is like a new object of everything you work for. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's kind of like getting married. Yeah. Like your wife changes your life, like in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, changes your perspective, changes the way you see, do, and live, you know, in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times the tension in marriage is we don't want to change. Like we don't want to get better or we don't want to adapt, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then there becomes tension in the marriage. You're like, oh, you know. My spouse is just forcing me to do these things. And I think we find a lot of freedom when we begin to just surrender and and change to what marriage is calling us to, which is self-sacrifice. Yes. Girls demand sacrifice in a you good know? way. Yeah, in a good way. It doesn't mean you give up your whole life in a sense of like you don't have freedoms to do things that you love to do. That's not, that's not what we're saying. But mm-hmm. I think... If most people would realize that if you surrender to your marriage and to your vocation fully, you'll have more freedom than you ever thought you would have. Oh, absolutely. Like freedom comes through the surrender and through entering into the vocation completely. And I think a lot of people think, well, 
I'm going to hold some things back and I'm going to sort of keep some freedoms to myself. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have freedoms to do, say whatever I want or go where I want. But then there's, there's tension. And so then you feel tension in the relationship in a sense. Then you feel lack of freedom. Yeah. Can I use an analogy that I have no business using? Yep. Jumping out of a plane. Yep. Which you've done, right? Not quite. No. I've thought about it. I've jumped off of a crane. That's That rhymes. But not a plane. It rhymes. Literally. A well, crane. Nice. Well, I've never done that either. But I imagine it's a lot like that where when you're in the plane or on the crane or wherever you're about to jump and you're not quite sure if you're going to go through with it or if you made the right decision or whatever. And so you have this tension, this fear, this stuck feeling. But then when you just go all in... There's a freedom, right? So when you're falling, of course, I've never done it, but from what I understand, when you're falling, there's a certain freedom to that where you're just all in. You just went for it, and you're enjoying the um, giving yourself over to the activity. And I think marriage is a lot like that. When we, we, we sit in the plane or on the crane not ready to go all in, and there's tension, and there's fear, and there's doubt, and there's hesitancy, you're second-guessing yourself, you know, and you can be there for years or decades right but then if we just say okay yeah I'll, I'll go all in and be husband jump right just jump then you experience the freedom that you can only experience if you're actually all into something i've never met anyone even in my own life when you've gone all in on something to have re regrets i mean even if it's like a sport if it's a good thing you know if it's a good thing <laughs> you're like man i i did the best that i could even if i lost you walk away thinking, I gave it all I had, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times in marriage, particular, is like, if you go all in on your marriage, you, you give it everything, They will there will be fruits from it. Like, you, you'll have more freedom and passion and joy mm -hmm. and love, all the things that you want and desire. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is, you know, we're afraid, honestly. So we keep one foot in, one foot out. We don't jump all the way. We want all these safety nets. We want all mm -hmm. these loopholes. We want all these contracts, all these things to kind of say, well, I'm going to protect myself, you know, f from all the things. And the reality is in a vocation and marriage, it's like you got to go all in. And I've never met anyone who went all in on their marriage and, and had any regret. Yeah. Well, and I, I think to the point, marriage is an example of following Jesus that way, like all in and following Christ and how. It's not a given that those of us who follow Christ are actually living like that. Right. There's there's a way to dilute the faith or turn it into something less than a complete jump off the plane. Speaking of diluting, so we're going to talk more about this in the next segment. Um, but speaking of diluting, I don't know if you've kept up with some of the synod uh, that's happening. So this, there's a synod that's happening around uh, w with the church. Mm -hmm. um, Cardinals and bishops and, you know, people and theologians all around. I forget where they're gathered. Is it in Rome? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and specifically around the topic of youth uh, and the church. The youth. So there's a synod about youth and the church. Now, when, when the church globally thinks about youth, um, they think about um, ages like, you know, 12 to 40. Yeah. Okay. So wide like range. When, when the international church, like in Europe, when they think of a young adult uh, or youth, like when they plan a world youth day, like mm -hmm. they're thinking like, you know, up to like 
30s. Yeah. 40s. So, so us, we think about youth. We think about like junior high, high and high yeah. school kids. This is an expansion of that from like, you know, youth all the way into young adults, 30s, you know, yada. So they're having this synod where they're basically gathering data, having conversations. And it's been interesting. I don't know if you've kept up with it at Just all. Just a little. No, I'm not like super like keeping up because it, it's, it's a lot to keep up with. I can't wait to see, like, the final report. Yeah, that's usually what I do. But here's one of the things that caught me. One of the, the cardinals from Africa uh, spoke out, and it was great. And one of the things he said, he says, you know, a reporter asked him about the church in Africa. And if you know anything about the church in Africa, it's actually growing, whereas the church in America is shrinking, the church in Europe is shrinking. So, hello, why don't we look to where it's growing? Oh, no, that would be stupid. <laughs> So the church in Africa is growing, and the cardinal says, the reason why our churches are full, the reason why our churches are full of adults and our churches are full of young people is because we don't dilute the faith. We don't dilute the truth of the gospel, and everything that the church teaches is even woven into the culture of who we are as family and community. And it really struck me, in particularly the word diluted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the image that comes to mind is I'm thinking about young people maybe watching a romantic comedy, let's say, two people falling in love, and then they just pledge their undying love to each other. Maybe they get married, maybe they don't, whatever. But there's something attractive to the young person about real love. Yeah. Um, even Even love that's hurts even love that's you know costs a lot costs a lot yeah what's your favorite drink oh gosh water definitely water (laughs) okay this isn't going to help my analogy (laughs) what if you go with no water or coffee okay okay say coffee Uh uh-huh okay so you had a nice cup of coffee okay Mm -hmm. and there it is and then i took a cup of coffee and then i i put a bunch of ice in it and then it just watered down. Mm, okay, I'd be upset, yes. especially if I fixed the coffee. So you drank the coffee. Is the coffee still coffee? Mm, yeah. It's still coffee, but it's watered down coffee. It doesn't taste the same. You don't like it. I wouldn't you serve it to my it mom. Out. You wouldn't Mm-mm. serve it to your mom. But you can keep putting sugar in it and cream and make it taste good. Work with good. what you got. Right? You work with what you got. Or you can just drink the coffee that you love, that it's non-diluted. Here's what's happened, and and people can disagree with me, but I see this in the church. I see it here locally. I see it as I travel in America, is that there's a sense that the faith is, at times, like we don't want to speak the truth. We don't want to say the tough things, the hard things, the truth of actually what Jesus says in the gospel, because it might hurt someone's feelings. Uh, And so we're, in a sense, like... It, it's still the truth, but it's watered down. It's diluted. Well, and at the heart of it is, to me, and, and you know, the, the popes have talked about this, and I say popes, plural, Pope Francis included, Benedict XVI, John Paul II, and Paul VI. So a nice little track record. Yeah. But the essential core of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is alive and that he calls us to follow him every day of our life and that we, in responding, would give him everything. Like, that is, that we need to get back to this message. And the thing is, serious Catholics, quote-unquote, people can't see that, I'm making air quotes. Right. Serious Catholics get caught up in the business of other things. Like, we'll talk about other things. And if we're really into it, we'll talk about, like, you know, 
issues with the sacraments. Let's talk about the business of the church. Business of the church, properties, um, like these kinds of things. Right. But all of that assumes that all of us are already following Christ. And if we're not, then all of that is fruitless. And that's not my thought. That's Jesus, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. And without me, you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit. And is that true or is it not true? People in Africa talk about the gospel. They share the gospel. They preach the gospel. I think some people in America would have a heart attack if they went to see the African church. Mm -hmm. Because it's alive so much so that they'd be like... Um, y'all need to tone it down. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like what's going on? People are actually excited when they go to mass. They might even cheer and raise their hands. Whoa, that would give you a heart attack. Chill out. <laughs> I think a lot of times when we think about diluting, like we're like, oh well, let's just go back to being like, like all the traditions, you know, and being ultra whatever. You know, that's not what I'm talking about diluting. Like I don't, I don't, whatever way that you express that, that's. That's whatever way. What I'm saying is we can't dilute what Jesus talks about. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Cardinal was saying, is it's diluting the gospel, with the words of Jesus, what Jesus talks about. And I think for all of us as Christians, as Catholics, is we're, we're called to live the faith, like live in relationship with Christ in a radical way, in a way that transforms the world around us. Well, and honestly, I think, one of our biggest problems here in the West is that we treat Jesus as if he's dead. Mm. We do. Yeah. We just straight up do. He's not part of our daily conversations. At best, some of us pray to him in our armchairs at night or yeah. in the chapel, but then we don't take him into the big decisions of the church, for sure. Like right. We don't open it up to say, well, everybody, right now, what is the Lord telling us? Yeah. We don't do that. No, and I, I had a meeting... Of- with a young adult this week, a guy who called said, hey, can I meet with you? Just need to talk through some things about life and counseling's too expensive, so they choose me, and uh, <laughs> honestly. And uh, so, I, so I asked him about his prayer life, and he says, well, I do go to adoration, you know, pray some man. So what, what, do you, what do you say? He's like, I don't, I don't say anything. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's nothing wrong with being quiet, contemplative, sure. listening. But he literally doesn't have a conversation with Jesus is what he's saying. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's no dialogue. It's like it's like God's dead. It's like, right. no, bro, like he's alive. He wants the dialogue with you. Right. Like, have you ever just thought about opening the Gospels and, and reading and, and having a conversation with Jesus about what he said? And it's like he just sat up in his chair. He's like, I, he literally said this. He goes, I can do that? Mm-hmm. Like, I could talk? Yeah. In adoration? I was like... Uh, yes. Well, like, then, you can dialogue. And to me, this is the most dangerous dilution because when we treat Christ like he's dead, like his teachings are something that we hold on to from the past versus something he's saying right now, when we do that, we take we zap all of the zeal out of the church because no one dies for a dead person. No one is inspired by the word that was spoken 2,000 years ago. All of us want to follow someone who's alive, all of us want to follow who's someone who's leading us somewhere, right? Not to the past, but towards the future. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the past. Obviously, the Christ who speaks to me today is the same Christ who spoke 2,000 years ago. And the one who's leading the church today is the same one who's been leading it for 2,000 years. And so it's not like I'm saying we need to do church different. What I'm saying is we forget what church is today very often. That throughout 2,000 years, people pick up the call to discipleship and change the world. St. Benedict who founded uh, Western monasticism. He, he didn't say, what's the, what's the big solution that no one sees? He said, Lord, what are you calling me to? 
right? All the founders were like that. Right. That's why they founded what they did. And we live in an era where we need a lot of founding. We need a lot of new building. We need a lot, of, but not breaking with what was done in the past, but listening again, not diluting the faith into something we do, and rather in the context of a relationship of following the head of the church. That's what we need to be I doing. think a lot of times we talk about God being dead, in a sense, like we treat it as though we're, we're, we're deists, mm-hmm. that God steps away. He creates and steps away. And as Christians, we don't believe that. Like God not only entered in through the incarnation of Jesus, but God continues to intervene in our world today. For us as Christians, it's praying about, what God, what are you doing right, right. now? And exactly. what's my response right now? And you know what's a shame in our church today? Honestly, like as a guy who, who um, you know, desires to live my faith in the world, like I'm more intimidated sometimes to live my faith radically around church people than I am around non-church people. Yeah. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, think about how crazy that statement is. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to really care. But at the end of the day, if I said I'm more intimidated or more worried about one or the other, I'm more worried about what church people are going to say about me because we have all these stereotypes and all these things and, you know, you're this and you're that. And we're constantly pointing at people. It's absolutely ridiculous. You're liberal, you're conservative, you're traditional, you're not. We judge people. We're, we're absolutely horrible Yeah. and rude. Yeah. And it's like I'm more intimidating just to live my faith radically because church people are going to judge me than I am radically to people who don't even know Jesus. I, I'm fine with that. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I think the church in Africa and other places there's no label growing is that leadership in the church is clear. In other words, you you've met African priests and bishops. Yeah. It's pretty clear when you're with them that they know Jesus. Yeah. Right? And and like some of the things they're coming up with in their area are very creative, but a lot of it was hard fought. A lot of them they had to live through genocide. They had to live through uh, government oppression. See, it's not like there's something wrong with America. It's that we need to be humbled to where all we have left is Jesus. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening right now in some ways. But And that's why I keep preaching about spiritual poverty. The greatest poverty today is spiritual poverty. And until we understand that even about ourselves, mm-hmm. like I'm spiritually broke without Jesus. Like I'm broke completely without Jesus. Until I understand that... I will never grab hold of Jesus like and yep. can't let go. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But in our culture, we can let go because we have so many safety nets. You know, like, well, I can just get this and do this and this comfort. And and look, nothing wrong with that. But until you grab hold of Jesus like you don't want to ever let go, that's what the African church is like. People need Jesus, have Jesus, and don't let go of Jesus because it's it's literally the center of their existence and their life because they've been through so much pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can come back and correct me one day. And this isn't even prophetic. This is just like, I think the African church is going to transform the world. Like, it's literally the only place right now where the church is growing at at, at rate, rapid rate. Yeah. So I don't know. I look. I think we should look to where God's moving, man. Yeah, well, and imitate them, you know. And to the point of the youth, you mentioned holding on to Jesus and not letting go. And this is this is the tragedy of 
of our church is that so many young people, even that come to Mass, even that are involved, by the time they're 20, at least in our country, um, they don't, they let go. And so how do we get to a place where it's normative that by the time we're adults, we're all in for the Lord. We're fo- we know how to discern His will in our life within a community, and we're following Him. Um, that's what the African church has done. It's normative. Like, when you're a Christian, this is what you do. Um, I mean, you'll meet, you'll meet a family where there's three or four priests and two nuns from the same family, and a few married people. Yeah, they go along in. And it's not abnormal. It's not like, wow, y'all must be really respected in the community. No, that's, that's just everybody. Yep. <laughs> yep, they're not afraid to jump, as we talked earlier. They go all in. All right, so we're going to come back. It's Paul and Adam talking the art of living. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam here talking all things art of living. All things. Yes. So what's on tap at the Conk House this on weekend? Tap? Yeah. Halloween's coming up. You guys ever do anything like that? Y'all dress well, as saints or do y'all so carve You might be like, how many siblings or, do you have? I have one sister one and sister. one stepbrother, one stepsister. And you all kind of live in different places. Yeah, we all live in different places. Well, I'm the youngest of five, and we're all still in the area. And so we each kind of take our holidays that we prefer. And so my sister Allison, like, Halloween's her thing, mainly because she lives in a great neighborhood for trick-or-treating. Like, yep. it's safe. It's fun. She knows all the neighbors. It's free candy, man. Yeah, so we hit up there every year, and it's wonderful. Okay, so be honest with me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to steal one piece of candy from one of your kids' bags, what kind of candy is it? I really love Three Musketeers. Do you? hmm So that's the one you would take? You'd be like, hey. Yeah. Also like some Twix. Okay. Goodness gracious. What about you? Well, see, that's interesting because the Three Musketeers doesn't have the crunch, but the Twix has the crunch. Yeah, sometimes I, f- I feel like a crunch. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like crunching. Yeah. Uh, you know the feeling. Um, honestly, um, I don't eat much candy ever. But if I had to, if I had to answer your question, I would go with the pink Starburst. That's very specific. Mm-hmm. Or Snickers. They're very different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're feeling snickery. Sometimes you're feeling Starbursty. Yeah. I get it. That's what I would go for. That's wonderful. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I got this interesting, I had this interesting conversation and uh, and this text this week. And, you know, I've been trying to process this a lot. Um, and, and it connects to what we were talking about in the first segment. Um, the ability to, to really, I don't know, I think men are a lot, a lot of times under attack in our culture. You know, there's a statistic out that... Um, that's cross-denominational, okay? So if 
young people today, okay, after graduating high school, so from ages 18 to 23, the statistic is four to five years after graduating high school, are 70 to 80% likely to stop attending church altogether, okay? That's alarming. Yeah. Now get this. A kid is 90% more likely to be a lifelong churchgoer if their father is a churchgoer. Hmm. Not mom. Dad. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Yeah. So to me, like in a sense of like, if there's any attack in the world today, you know, from the enemy, it's men and marriages. Mm-hmm. And particularly disjoining men in their marriages and diluting that. And like if the enemy can really take men out, then he's got the whole family in disarray. Yeah. I mean, kids stop going to church. Moms are raising their families and trying to be the emotional and spiritual, you know, foundation of everything. And yet the men's, the man's either like semi disengaged in the marriage or complete. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this is not a rare thing. It's not a rare thing. And so I was having this conversation this week with some woman who, at one of my talks, and she came up to me after, and um, anyway, having, having some difficult times in their marriage. So I, I said, hey, you know, does your husband want to talk? You know, can, can I, she said, well, you mind reaching out to him, yada, yada. And basically what she says is, like, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to talk about it. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to reach out. Uh, he doesn't have anyone in his life to help him along, right? And, like, mm-hmm. like, and this is like common practice among men is that I'm going through this difficult thing. I don't know how to fully engage in my life or my marriage or my fatherhood, but I'm afraid to ask somebody to help me. Yeah. But I can go to work. And I can work hard and I can make money and do things. And I can buy a truck and a boat and go camping and whatever. But I can't ask someone for help in my personal life. What in the world? Yep. Well, and it's, it's, it's a problem because to me the most masculine thing... I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a topic right now in the church has been for a few decades now. Of you know, we need to revitalize men. You know what it what does it mean to be a man? And so, having sampled all of the ideas, okay, in my humble opinion, to me, the most defining masculine characteristic of what you're talking about, like a, a father, a husband, is that a man is able to guide a community, whether it's their family or their marriage, to a better place in the future than they are now. In other words, they're able to provide an environment of growth for those that they love. Like that is very masculine. Not to say women can't do that, but to me this is a masculine DNA thing. And we never feel more inadequate as a man when our wife is unhappy or our children are unhappy because it means we failed at providing that environment or that life where they can be growing, becoming more happy, more, you know. And um, so I think when we feel that inadequacy, we don't even want to go there. I think inadequacy is huge. And in the same conversation I'm having with this young adult, I said, what's the main emotion you're feeling in your life as you're struggling? He said, I feel inadequate. 
I said, the first thing that you need to know is as a young adult man, the fact that you can actually name that, that's huge. Yep. Because most men can't name it. And if they do, they're afraid of it. And here's the reality. Here's the reality. We're all inadequate. Yep. Like we're all imperfect. Like every, every man, you and I too, will fail in our marriages. We, we will disappoint. We will not be completely and totally perfect, right? Mm-hmm. But here's what happens when the inadequacies, and this is what I've learned, is that my inadequacies have to bring me to my knees to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus has to fill me and make me feel like I can do, <laughs> I can do it, right? But here's what normally what ends up happening is that our inadequacies lead us to isolation. Yep. And isolation leads us to completely disengage, feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling like we can't do it anymore, feeling like we don't have what it takes. And then and then all of our, our, our wives and our kids are just saying, we just need you to step back in, even if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, just show up, even if you suck at it. Well, the thing is, this is particularly a struggle in our, we're talking about Africa last segment. The continent of Africa is a big place. Okay. So not every country is the same. Right. But in the type of communities we were discussing, there's a strong sense of community and hierarchy. So for example, um, the role of the father is a, is a known thing and it's passed on from generation to generation, mostly by witnessing. Right. So a father witnesses his father, I mean, a son witnesses, witnesses his father, so he acts like a father. That strong community and sense of um, fu- knowing my personal place because of the community yeah. allows for a lot less ambiguity to what I'm supposed to be doing, which allows for a lot less feelings of inadequacy. And our society is very individualistic. Pretty much all of us have to figure out for ourselves what a father is, what a husband is. Maybe we had an awesome dad who communicated that to us, and we're, that's such a blessing right now. Maybe we didn't, but either way, our society around us has no idea what a father is and a husband is. So the thing is, there's always this something in us to say, did I get it right? Right. Here's my version of it. Did I get it right or did I make a huge mistake? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> and here's what happens. The isolation that we feel because of our inadequacies keeps us from living in relationship with other people, including yep. other men. But here's the reality. Like, we learn how to be a man from other people. Yep. We learn how to be a husband from other people and a father from other people. But if we're not around the right people, or if we're not around people at all, or if we're not asking questions to people, then we don't learn. Right. Like, we don't grow. So if the only model for manhood or fatherhood or husbandhood was what we saw growing up. If that, if, even if it was good, that's still a long time ago. Yep. Okay? But if it was bad, that's our image. If it was good, it was a long time ago. Who are we journeying with now to saying, how are you doing? How can I help you? Like, who are you rubbing elbows with to make you a better man every day? Because just just because you did good one day doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean like it, you like you got to have continual support in being the man God wants you to be. Well, especially in our society. Um, because even the best among us will gravitate towards the men that already agree with us. Ooh, <laughs> right? <into> that. <laughs> yeah. So even the, even the serious Christians will just surround themselves with guys that are pretty much like them in every way, same skin color, same perspective on the world. And we just kind of bounce around the same ideas for about two decades, three decades, and then mm. 
right? So the challenge to me is like, how do we, how do we as a church meet other men with other ideas, right? So to make one, us better. To, uh, on fatherhood, on manhood, these kinds of things. And three, like we need something, we need something, some kind of apparatus to pull us out of our normal circles and get and meet men that we wouldn't normally meet. And I think that's why, you know, some men conferences or programs are successful in that. If nothing else, it's a, it's an opportunity to meet men you wouldn't normally meet. But here's my encouragement to men is, is this, you could sit in a group in a church, watch a video, be a part of a men's group and never say anything about what's going on in your life. Yep you're not going to move forward. Right. So at what point do you say, hey, um, it's great being here. I'm struggling with this. I need help. Who's got some advice for me? Who's going to tell me something that I disagree with? Yeah. That's going to make me even angry. Who's going to tell me I shouldn't get a divorce? Who's going to tell me I need to stop you know, my addiction? Who's going to tell me I need to drink less? Who's going to tell me that I need to stop traveling or working more? Like that's the, that's what you're saying. Yeah. I need people in my life who are actually going to make me a little mad about the way I live life. Yep. Right. Who are going to like rub me a little bit or like, yeah, I might need to rethink that. Right. Yeah. And I do think like there, there is a move in the church to kind of wake men up. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the movements that's out there that, I'm going to be a part of is is the rise movement it's called rise men menriseup.org and they have these videos that you can watch mm-hmm. and particularly you watch them and you discuss them with other men right it, it provokes just it's wakening the soul of the man to ask these questions but i think we can't be afraid to like just be like yeah you know like i've been having a hard time in my marriage these days uh i've been struggling with this like like we we've got to stop living in isolation so that we can grow and drop our ego to simply just say, Hey, I've been struggling in this. I need help right now. Well, and I think it's helpful too. You know, I, I did the rise men's challenge, um, last spring with eight guys, most of them, well, about half of them I knew really well, the other half I didn't. And it was really helpful to me that for example, if I grew up in a culture where the roles of a father were very clear or the role of the husband or just a man, like if I'm not married, I'm just being a man or clear, then I can measure myself based on how I'm fulfilling these marks, right? Like as a man. So in our society, we don't have that at all. It was helpful for me because in an organized way, because it is an organized program, to able to take one theme at a time and say, okay, Here's what it means to be son. For example, that was the first idea. Here's what it means to be a son. How do I measure? Right? Here's this person's experience of sonship in the video. Actually, there's several videos that week, right? Here's all these experiences of sonship. Here's a little bit of the teaching of the church and what Jesus has to say. But the the question is, okay, but where do I measure in that? And if I f- and it was very helpful for me, you know, because I had to look at my father, you know, I had to look at my mom. Um, had to look at my relationship in the church to, to authority, like all these aspects of sonship. And a lot of us just never go there. We just never go to the place where we measure ourselves because the feeling of inadequacy is so great that even the thought of me measuring myself in any standard brings out all kind of fear and insecurity. And that's why we need a community of brothers who are doing the same thing. Because if, if I'm measuring myself with all of you who are also measuring yourself, then it's a sense of encouragement that I wouldn't have by myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. My my wife is she's had multiple people come to her friends or acquaintances saying, "Hey, I want to go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Can you help me?" And she, and the first thing she says, uh, "Yeah, I can help you not get a divorce." And they're and they're like, get really mad. Yeah, at her, and then like in the long term, those marriages have been saved, right? Like at first they're mad, and then they're like, "Oh," and then they're like, "Okay," and then teach them how to move forward and i think that's it like yeah you know like i don't know i, I i'm still growing as a man and i'm one of those guys that got a lot of things wrong and i still mess up but gosh i still need to grow and i need i need other people other men particularly to help me be better yeah you know well and especially as we mature as a church and certain men in the church laymen and clerics have achieved certain notoriety or certain um, leadership, right? Like we have a growing number of men leaders in the church that we didn't have before. I mean, 80s and 90s were tumultuous times, but part of it was like, where are the men, you know? We have a lot of men involved now in the church. We need more. But my point is, now that we're all at this level, in my experience, there are two types of great men. There's the great man who will do anything for anybody as long as it's not himself or his family. Like, I'll give you the shirt off my back if you're a, you know, a poor person coming into the, the parish office or something. But I'm not going to do that for my wife or my kids or myself. Hmm. Or there's the great man who's able to love everybody all at the same time and prioritizes their closest relationships first. Right. A lot of us good men go to work every day and we'll do so much for our boss or for anybody who needs something, a coworker, And we just don't do it at home or for ourselves. When we need things, we hmm. don't give it. But... That's not everybody, and, that, and that's what I've learned. Like, there are people who actually prioritize their life, prioritize their life well, make sure they have what they need to be growing in, in health and holiness, make sure that their wife and kids, you know, and then what's left over they give to the world and to the church. Amen that, to that. That does exist. Yep, and men who simply turn internally and don't reach out to the world yeah. will, will die out. Like, yep, good men make other good men. Good men make good sons, right? And so, like, we have got to step out and, and reach out to men at the same time. All right, we'll come back, and we're going to have the most amazing set of oh, six-pack of questions okay. today. <laughs> we'll be right back, Paul and Adam, Art of Living. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Paul and Adam here in studio. And we're about to ramble off the most potent pack (laughs) of six pack of questions. Question. Potent question number one. Potent pack of questions. So you mentioned the Rise Men's Movement and that you're going to be involved. So question number one, what exactly are you going to be doing? What's your involvement? So if you go to risemenup.org, the first Try thing again. they do... Try um, again. 
if they go to menriseup.org, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first thing that men can do is a 30 day challenge. So it's, it's short videos, for 30 days and you watch them and you grow. It's good. You went through the 30 day yeah, challenge. Great. So as men go through that, there's a next phase of like workshops and videos and challenges that go deeper. So I'm going to be part of that um, in the next phase within the next year. Wow. So you're like round two. I'm like round two. I remember ding, you remember ding. those, um, the Nintendo game, was it Super Punch-Out? Was that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. And like the people got harder each time. Right. You're like round two. Yeah. Like this is like big boy gloves. <laughs> <laughs> round, round two, man. So it'll be interesting. There's there's like four other four or five other contributors. It's a great movement. I'm super excited to, to be a part of it. So they can go to menriseup.org, and it's awesome. You can share it with your friends and your parish and do the group, whatever. So sign and, up for the challenge. And membership starts soon. So that's a new thing to be a member of this thing. Yeah. But it's like soon, like November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a couple weeks. And you can join in as a member at any point. But yeah, they're going to open up the membership. Man, it's exciting. Yeah. All right, here we're gonna do. We're gonna go back and forth. So oh you boy. did question one. Yep. I'm gonna do question two. All right. So we were talking about men earlier. If there's a guy out there who's like, you know, he's kind of stuck. Where does he go? Like to talk to someone or process or to grow. What do you tell that guy? Well, first I would say, if you've been stuck for a little while, there's a pretty good chance that if you've reached out to people, it's gonna be people. And, and look, don't take offense at this man, but this is something we all do. Yeah. We manipulate people, okay? So a lot of times we'll reach out to people that will give us the advice we want or we don't reach out to them anymore. And so what a lot of us who get stuck for a while will do is surround ourselves with guys or gals that give us the input we want and we just stay stuck in our problems. So if that resonates with you, all right, first thing you need to do is think, who can I reach out to that is out of that? That, like, I can't manipulate. I can't control what they're going to say. Will probably disagree with me. Reach out to that person for, for input and advice. And I'm not saying it's going to follow whatever they do, but I am saying is it'll start a process of reflection that you haven't had before that might really help. I like that. That's good. Oh, thanks, Paul. Yeah, I agree with your answer, <laughs> is what I'm saying. It got the Paul seal of approval? Yeah. <laughs> All right, question number three. Um, so speaking about men, one subject that often comes up is the spiritual leadership in the family. And we're talking about inadequacy. I've heard from a lot of guys this is one of the areas they feel the most inadequate when it comes to the spiritual life is like leading their family spiritually. Right. And themes I've heard is like my wife is more advanced than I am, she's more into it than I am, that kind of stuff. So I'm sure you've heard this from men before. What's the advice that you give in that scenario where a man wants to be in leadership but feels not adequate? First of all, I'd say this. Let your wife be holy because that's your ticket to heaven. Mm. Like, honestly. Like, don't don't be intimidated by your wife's faith, her intuition. Like, that's God's given her that gift. So, like, man, like, water that seed. Like, let that grow because <laughs> that's your ticket in the pearly gates, Bro, like honestly, like have you ever rock climbed and you got it, you have those clips, you have to click into the rope. If you don't click in, like you're done, you're gonna fall. Like oftentimes, like that's what marriage is about. Like you click in together and like you're pulling each other up the mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, like 
with our wives and their spirituality and their growth and their intuition and who they are, like click in instead of like pulling away and like being like, no, I can't do that. Click in and be like, I think you're going to have to pull me over this cliff right Mm -hmm. now. Right. So first don't be intimidated by that. Know that that's part of marriage is your wife has certain strengths. It's beautiful. Lock into that. Because I think at the end of the day, like when it's all said and done, like I feel like my wife's going to be dragging me into heaven and I'll be like, I got in. (laughs) She was good. She was holier than me. And I think I've come to a point in my life where I'm like, I'm okay with that. Right. And here's the other thing is don't be intimidated by that to the point where just start trying. Mm -hmm. Because the more you try, your wife's going to slowly let go. So a lot of times what wives do is they hold on to the spiritual life of the family because it's really important. Yeah. But as you just try, they'd be like, oh, wow, Larry just said, hey, why don't we go to Mass today at 11 instead of 6? Okay, I'll do that. Like, your wife's <laughs> not going to buck your leadership spiritually. Right. She's going to let you take it. But don't be afraid to just small steps. Small steps. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Question number, what are we on? Question four. four. Okay. So when it comes to, like, you know, fatherhood, you know, kids— like, so often, like, we don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your first advice when a guy, a man just doesn't feel like, I don't really know what to do? Like, Yeah, well, I'll use an analogy of a musical instrument, right? So if I have never played an instrument in my life, but I, I watch some YouTube videos, I'm like, guitar looks cool. I want to play the guitar. And I pick up the guitar, and the thing is there's a whole host of things I could say about the guitar, learn about the guitar, so a lot of songs, but it boils down to very few fundamentals. Very few, really. Even the most talented guitarist who's conquered the world, it boils down to very few fundamentals, right? But if I don't understand that, then I'm going to feel very intimidated by the guitar. I might learn a little bit, be okay at it, but never get great at it, right? So if I want to be a great father... I can't approach it as looking at all the myriad of things that it involves because there is so much. Like a whole orchestra. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to it right. that I'm just going to have to learn as I go ahead. But I can have a confidence in being a father if I know what the fundamentals are, number one, and I stay faithful to those. And so my advice is get in touch with the fundamentals of fatherhood, which are not many. One is like just make sure your family knows you love them. Make sure your kids know that you think about them and that you love them. Show up. Show up and, and say things like, I love you. Give hugs. Tell, pe- tell them why you love them. I love you because you're awesome. Hmm. Not because you did anything special. And that's special. simple. It's simple. But it goes a long way. If I'm faithful to that every day, you'd be amazed at the... If you're not doing that, you're going to be amazed at the effect in your relationship with your children. If you just start doing that simple practice every day, I love you because you're awesome. Just say that or something like that. But the, the main point is... Find the fundamentals, identify what they are, and just be faithful to them. Amen. And figure the rest out. Numero five. Question number five. So in a, in, in a men's retreat I was at recently, most of the attendants went because their wife begged them to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Thank I want to talk to the women for a second, yep. Paul. So, And to be quite honest, a lot of people listening to this podcast, probably mostly women. We do have a lot of men that listen. I'm not saying mm-hmm. we don't, but... You know, women being interested in the faith first and then bringing a husband in is not an uncommon thing. So question number five. Paul, speak to the woman who has tried many things to try to get their husband more into their faith. You know, dropped hints, invitations, whatever, and it just doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. What do you got to say to her? Well, I just want to encourage her to not lose hope. 
um, even though it seems hopeless. I think prayer is huge, like to constantly pray for your husband, pray for his conversion, pray for people to surround him, pray for openness. Um, and just, I, I think at times, like, you feel like you could be too naggy. So almost give, you know, step back from that and just be encouraging. I think you could be less naggy and more encouraging to your husband because really what's going on is they feel inadequate, like what we talked about earlier. So if you just pour into your husband love, encouragement, affirmation, what you're going to find is a transformation that's going to happen inside that man. Really? Yeah. Has that really happened? I like really, you've seen it happen. It's happened in my life. Yeah. I mean, it happened in anybody's then. Cool. I like it. All right, question number six. Um, along those lines, um, if, if a husband does feel like his wife is constantly pushing and pushing and pushing him, and he's kind of, you know, pushing back from it, how would you encourage him to 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 enter into that? Like, what what's his wife really need? Well, first of all, I would say if that's the situation and that's how I see it, there's a pretty good chance that I don't know how to relate to my wife in a very fundamental way. <laughs> <laughs> which is if if I'm if I get a sense that my wife wants me to be different and she's always pushing me to be different and I'm not becoming different and so it's just not resolving all right I need to take a step out of that situation and realize what's really going on here is that I do not have a dynamic with my wife that is fundamental for marriage like it's a bigger issue than just my wife wants me to go to church for example right and the fundamental relationship or dynamic would be that I really know her and she really knows me and we respect each other. And so what I would say is if I'm pushing back on my wife or if I feel like she's nagging me, the onus has to be on something I need to do, not in a way she needs to change. Because there's a pretty good chance that if that's how I see the situation, I have a list of things that I want her to change too. Right. And so I have to accept my wife for who she is and I have to get out of myself and say, how do I love and appreciate my wife as she is? And if I treat her that way, I guarantee you will see a lessening in this feeling you have that she wants you to be different. Hmm. Because that feeling comes from a mutual dynamic. It's not all her and it's not all you. But one of you has to take the lead to accept and love the other person wherever they're at. And that should be you. And so get out of the business of blaming everything on her and you take the leadership you need to take. That's awesome. Boom. Just like that. Just and like great that. show. Awesome yeah. show. You can Very uh, manly show. get the show on podcast, discovertheartofliving.com. You can share it. Uh, you can support the show. Uh, you can get the book, Rethink Happiness. You can also go to Men Rise Up and sign up for a challenge there. So lots of great things happening. But you're not going to get Paul until round two, so hang in there. Round two, man. Big boy gloves. <laughs> but it was great, man. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. God bless.